Awesome. Well, good morning, New Life Kulangala. So excited to be here um, this morning. If you guys haven't met me, um, my name is David Scambry, and I get the privilege of leading our Connect team and a bit of the communities around here, uh, which essentially means that if you haven't met me, I would love to meet you. It's such a, um, such a joy seeing our community grow. And to be honest, one of my passions in this church is that we'd be a church of people that just like when we walk in, we feel loved, yeah. we feel wanted, we feel welcomed, we feel like this is a place where we belong. And so if you're new here, you haven't met me, come and say hi. I'd love to hear some of your story, and I would love, love, love to get to know you a little bit better. But today's really exciting because today is Becoming Sunday. Now, I'm sure you all know what that means, but for those who, you know, haven't looked at their calendars today, it's this giant day every year, no money playing, it's not a holiday, but it is something we're doing this year really well, which is this, this idea of who are we becoming. And so this isn't an annual event, but we are doing, I think, four or three or four times this year, Becoming Sundays. And all it is, is, is like the beginning of this year, Mike, who is the lead minister here, sat down with the team and said, we've got this massive vision to see a heap of churches planted by 2030. And, 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 and that's really powerful and really cool. But after 2020 and all the change and all the commotion, we wanted to pause and make sure, check, check how we're doing. And so it was a time this year to stop and pause and reflect on how we're becoming more like Jesus, how we're becoming more holy and more in love with Christ. And so this year we're pausing, but you may have noticed that the way, the primary means we're doing this becoming thing is by reading the Bible. I got mentioned before, but we have this booklet we're going through and we're reading the whole Bible in just under 12 months. That's a big deal, but maybe if you're like me, a little bit practical, a little bit like, you know, you might be asking why. How does reading scripture help us become anything? What's the point? Why is this the way we're doing it? And so today, I just want to pause. I want to take some time to reflect on it. You may have noticed, if you're a part of this church, how we just finished a series on Genesis, where we went through for six weeks some of the early stories of Genesis and said, how do we read this well? So that as a church, we could go home, read the, New, read the Old Testament, and hopefully read it a little bit better. But also, see how the stories of Genesis are pointing to something else, to someone coming, to a hope. And so, so we just finished that. Next week, we start a new series on Ephesians. It's going to go for 12 weeks. I'm so excited. Ephesians is a fantastic, fantastic, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible to read. Um, I don't know if you're allowed favorites, but it's one of my favorites. But... Um, I, I think that the, the point of this week is to pause, to stop, before we go into Ephesians and start looking at how, how we can read the New Testament well and look back to Jesus. We can pause and stop and remember why we're reading the Scriptures together at all. So that's the goal of today. So without further ado, before I you know, talk more about words, why don't we just jump straight into Scripture? Why don't we actually just read some Scripture together? Acts chapter 8, 26 to 39. And if you don't have it, it's on the screen Behind me, but it says this Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man, this man had gone to Jerusalem and on his, uh, to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, Do you understand what you 
are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So we invited Philip to come and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself? Someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And told him the good news, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road. They came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders, stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Is it just me? Or is living with other people sometimes a little bit challenging? Yeah? Is it just me? Do we all agree here? Has anyone lived with anyone? I'm not married. Uh, I don't have kids or anything. So I've always lived with housemates. And so, you know, a few years ago, me and my housemates at the time were kind of wrestling, struggling, butting heads, and I was like, oh, I'm so done living here. So um, a friend of mine, another friend, invited me to come. They were moving house. They come. I need, I need someone to fill a spot anyway. Move in with me. And I was like, I would love to. And so I moved in with him, but he had a housemate. Now, I didn't know this housemate too well, but what I did know about him was that he had very strong opinions. And he knew how to communicate them really loudly when he wanted to. That was everything I knew about him. So I put on my meekest socks, you know, I pulled them up as high as they went, and I went up to him so gentle and was like, hi, I'm David. Uh, Whatever you believe, I agree with, sure, whatever. Um, Tell me about yourself. And he shared with me about himself and shared that he was actually in a book club. He invited me to be a part of the book club, and I was like, sure, reading, whatever. And so he invited me to be a part of it, and I read the books they were reading, like just the titles, not the books. And I was like, no, nah, this is way above my pay grade, way above my head. Um, I need the, uh, the level down version of this book club. And so I sat down, and I was inspired to start writing my own list of books that I wanted to read. And I've always had like a passion for stories and for kind of like classics of Western literature. And so I just wrote down a list of really random, boring books like Shakespeare that I really, really, really thought I should probably read someday before I die. So I started buying them. I bought a couple, read them. And I got to this one book. And my goal was to read 20 books in two years. You know, read about a book a month, have some spare time afterwards. And I got to the end of the third month, got onto my fourth book and was like, yeah, you know what? I'm doing well. I'm kicking butt. And so I was like, let's read this one. Two months later, I finished chapter two. Three months later, I don't think I'd picked it up for another month. And two years later, I looked back and realized I still had 16 and a half books left to read. And so (laughs) I was scrolling through the internet trying to find synopsises, however you say that, of the chapters in this book so that I could cheat and pretend I'd read it. I know, very Christian. And so I I was doing that and I stumbled upon this quote by a guy called Mark Twain. Now, if you've not heard of Mark Twain, 
Mark Twain is probably one of the most celebrated authors uh, of America, American authors. And um, he said this, a classic is something that everybody wants to have read and nobody wants to read. I love that quote. That quote is so versatile, don't you think? Like, you can apply that quote to exercise so well. Exercise is something everybody wants to have done and nobody really wants to do. (laughs) I wonder if sometimes we can apply this to Scripture, though, right? Reading Scripture is something I know I ought to have done this morning, but I didn't really want to. You know, too often I feel like the eunuch before he met Philip, stumbling frustratedly through Scripture. Oh, when will this end? I know I have to read it, but what's the point? I feel like I'm, I'm just doing it because I have to, and there's no hope in it. But what a contrast in the life of the eunuch before and after he got the Scriptures. After the scriptures, we see a man who walks away having been baptized. And for those of you who aren't sure what baptism is, baptism is this public declaration that says, I I I used to be this way. I used to live in this sin, consumed by it, but actually I'm letting it go. That's the past me. It's buried. It's dead in Jesus. And I'm born again, a new creation. And I publicly declare, this is who I am now. I am a new person in Christ. And that's what he said. That's what he's done. He's been so excited. He literally stopped the chariot, ordered it stopped for a puddle in the ground so that he can say, I am a new person. I have been renewed and I want the world to know it. And then it says that he left that place rejoicing, filled with joy. Man, could you guys imagine if when we finish reading scripture in the morning or at night, we left that space feeling new? And rejoicing, overwhelmed with joy. That would change our attitude, right? I'd be pretty keen to read scripture every day if I had a hope that that would be my experience. So for the short time we have together today, what I want to do is, is ask, is this possible to be our experience? Like, is there a hope behind scripture? Should we be approaching scripture with hope? And if so, how can we set up our hearts so that we can be more in that hope every time we come to scripture? So I am very excited about this morning. I believe, I have an agenda. I believe in my hope and my agenda is that tomorrow, even today, we would go to Scripture so much more excited to be there than we've been before. So why don't we pray together and let the Lord do what the Lord does. Father God, we thank you that you are here, you are present, that, we didn't, that, that you didn't join us in this room, but we joined you. That you, Lord, are the King and the Almighty One who wrote your scripture to continue a work that you're doing in our lives for good things. And may we have a hope and a confidence and a faith that we will see those good things. We will become confident in those good things of scripture, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're at work and we pray we will be more excited about you by the end of today than we've ever been before. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there is a hope for Scripture. There is a hope. We should, we must, we must approach Scripture filled with hope. If, if we want to be a people who read it well, we can't approach it with apathy. and We can't approach it with religion. We have to approach reading it with hope. Let me give you an example super quick. Um, um, lottery tickets, yeah? 
Like, people don't enjoy buying, people don't buy lottery tickets because they find the process of buying lottery tickets fun. They don't think, oh, woo, I get to go to my local newsagent and buy a slip of paper today. I can't wait, right? They spend their money and their time buying lottery tickets because they have a hope in what might happen if they win. That's why they're buying them. And that could be so real for us in this church today. Like, what if we as Christians weren't approaching Scripture because, you know, whatever, we love reading or whatever, but because we had a hope for what was in the Scriptures. You know, I have a lot of empathy for the eunuch. Um, He was reading Isaiah. I don't know if anyone here has ever read Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophetic book, and what that means is that it was written by someone whom God was speaking through in a unique way for his time and his day and age. And when you read prophetic literature, it is filled with metaphors, stories, poetry, illustrations. And if you don't know their culture, well, sometimes it can be really difficult to read. A few years ago, me and a friend decided we're going we're gonna to conquer this mammoth book and we're going to read it and we're going to be more godly because of it. And so we started reading it and we got to about chapter 8 and we were like, I have no clue what I've read. Honestly, I've come eight chapters in, and I haven't got a single clue what I've read so far. So we started again. We thought, you know, this time we're dedicated. And again, chapter six, seven, eight, we were like, dang it, we've still got no clue what we've read. It took about 10 times before we realized we might need some help. So we went and bought a commentary, which is just a book written by someone far smarter than all of us who has studied it and made it more simple and approachable. So we bought a commentary, and we started reading Isaiah with this book. And... um. What this commentary did was take all the boring things we glazed over, like dates, times, workplaces, and shown why they were actually the hinge points for the points the writer was trying to make. And we realized so quickly that the point the author of Isaiah was making on repeat over and over and over and over and over and over again was that we need the gospel, was that we need help. And God's got us. He's got a plan to help us. Time and time again, it points out how humanity has failed and continues to fail, continues to fall short, will continue to fall short, but God is not done with us yet. He has a plan and a purpose to save us in spite of our failure. And so it points to this person, this thing that they call a Messiah that would come and rescue and redeem us. And I remember when we suddenly grasped and got Isaiah, me and my friend were just like, what the heck? This book is amazing. Who knew? And there was this sense of joy of like, I feel like I just kind of get God more. It's like when you get to know someone a bit better and you fall in love with them more. That was the experience. It was like I just had tasted the goodness of God in a new way and fallen more in love with who he was. And it was just this exhilarating moment. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, kind of the beginning of 12, it says there are these people, uh, there are these group of people that Paul had been preaching to. And this is what it says about them. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For when they received the message, they received it with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed. So the Berean Jews were people who were reading scripture. For them, that scripture was exclusively the Old Testament. And every single day, they were eagerly, excitedly approaching scripture and reading it because they were anticipating something in there worth believing in. In other words, in the, the, the way that they were approaching this was that if they could just get the truth of this scripture, it would change everything. And therefore, how else would they spend their days? 
And they were hungry and seeking and pursuing for something beautiful in the scripture. Every single day, coming back to it, what is it? What is it? And what we find is that his name was Jesus because that's who Paul had been preaching to them. And and, and what we see in here is how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Why? Because that's all they were reading and what they were finding was Jesus. And therefore they believed. In fact, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, introduces Jesus straight out of the Old Testament and says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And he goes on to quote Isaiah the prophet. But here's the thing, it literally introduces the good news, the gospel, as beginning with Jesus, as a completion to what the Old Testament had already spoken. You know, when we read scripture, it's so, so, so easy to think to ourselves, what is the point of this verse? I don't understand. I don't know if you've been following along. We finished Leviticus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We finished Leviticus. And and I know, I love Leviticus. It's a great book, but it's hard to read, right? It's hard to read. And so... We, as I was reading through it, we were also reading through lots of the New Testament. And, and, and something that one of our worship pastor Ash pointed out is, is how so much of what we read in Leviticus, we see it countered in the Gospels, responded to and fulfilled. Like, like everything happening in Leviticus wasn't the full stop, wasn't the ending, but was pointing towards this Jesus person who would come and fulfill it. That's how to read the, New, the Old Testament. Every verse in the Bible, old and new, points to this person, Jesus. And this Jesus is the bringer of good news to humans in desperate need of hearing it. A few verses later in Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, it introduces Jesus' work, his ministry. You know, he's getting going. He's starting what he's doing. And it says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus joins us on the earth, and that's what he says. The kingdom of good, the kingdom of God is near. I know what you're stuck in. I get it. You're in this kingdom of bad, this kingdom of brokenness, this kingdom of hurt. No one in this room today hasn't felt the burn of the world, the hurt, the pain, the sting of offense and, and in darkness that fills this world. We've all felt the way, it, the, the way it's broken and damaging, and we've all been a part of it. And Jesus says, now let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is nothing like that, has nothing to do with that. Repent, or in other words, I know how connected you've been to the kingdom of brokenness and destruction, And I know it's hard to see the ways that it's different because it's so different for you. But would you unplug from the kingdom of brokenness? Turn around and plug in to the kingdom of good, the kingdom of God. Would you turn away from the broken things of this world and trust that God's ways are truly, infinitely better? That's the good news of God, that Jesus has drawn near. And we can't talk about how to read scripture well, how to posture our hearts well for hope, until first we've spoken about why We read scripture at all. So what's the hope we approach scripture? Why do I say we should approach scripture with hope? How can we come to scripture and leave the way the eunuch left, filled with this renewal, filled filled with joy? How? Because we know that every scripture is about Jesus. 
And Jesus was all about this good news of the kingdom being our reality, that brokenness and hurt would be done away with. And when Jesus writes a book for us, you better believe that he's completing in that book what he tried to complete with it, well, what he succeeded in completing with his life, which was that the good news would be proclaimed, that we would find freedom from anxiety, pain, hurt, depression, darkness, wounds, relational woes, that in Christ we might find freedom, healing, and restoration. And, and I just can't express it. That was the ministry of his life. And dang straight, it's the ministry of this book he's written to us. That's what he wants to see become our truth every single day. So when I get up in the morning, sometimes I feel like, man, I know I ought to have read scripture already, but I don't, I just, I don't really want to. It's a little bit difficult. And then we pause and we remember that in this book, the living God is at work in our souls. And something beautiful has been at work and happening every time I've read this book. And maybe today I see the eunuch moment, right? Where I walk away with rejoicing and renewal. Or maybe today it's just another stepping stone, but I'm closer than I've ever been before to seeing that moment again and again become the norm of my life. But we're not crazy, right? You know, it's easy to stand up here and say good things are coming. But when it gets down to living everyday life, it's hard, isn't it, to stay hope-filled? We approach Scripture with this, this attitude of, it's just Scripture. I guess I better read it. The church is watching. God is watching. You know, we have it, and it's hard to keep the faith and stay strong and say, no hope, no hope. And so all I want to do for the next few moments, for what we have left, is simply talk about three ways that we can find hope and, and orientate, posture our hearts every day to receive this hope. Because the truth is we can posture our hearts to be filled with hope when we read the scriptures. That's the simple truth. And reading scriptures can be the most powerful, most beautiful, most defining part of every single day. Because you could get up in the morning and, and, and know what's coming and know what it looks like. But start your day by remembering who you are and how loved you are. Or maybe after a, a day of life where the world has grinded your soul. You get to the end of the day and you turn to scripture and you remember that that's not your reality. That's not your truth. You were made for more and God loves you. And so you can let go of the baggage of the day and say, I know that this is not my reality. This is just where I'm at right now. My reality is more eternal, more, beauty, more beautiful, and more heavenly. Three things. Holy Spirit led. Daily feasting, daily reading, and community. These are our three things. These are our three things. First one, in Luke uh, chapter 24, we see this story. Jesus has died. He's resurrected that morning. And some ladies, uh, so, like the Marys, they've seen it. They've come and reported it. They've gone and checked it out. The tomb is sure enough empty. Jesus' body is missing. And these disciples are walking to Emmaus so thoroughly confused. They're like, what has been going on around us? And they start saying, we thought that this was the Messiah. We thought that this guy would save us, this Jesus dude. And then a guy joins them on the road, and they're not sure who he is. But it's Jesus, but they don't know it. And, and, they start, and Jesus says to them, what's going on? What are you talking about? You know, all innocent-like, like he didn't know. And then they reply, oh, this guy called Jesus. And they just start overflowing with this information. And Jesus turns around and goes, you fools. Do you not see how it all adds up? How it all comes together? 
How Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And it literally says that beginning with the prophets and the law, he explained how he fulfilled the scriptures. And then the scripture will just go on the screen behind me. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. The disciples were not stupid people. They would have spent their whole life knowing the scriptures, having them preach to them, reading them. Their, their whole life so far would have been about the, these, these texts. They had literally firsthand witnessed Jesus do all the miracles and the movements, literally heard Jesus with their own ears predict that he would suffer, predict that he would die, predict he would resurrect. All these things happened exactly as everything had said, and they're walking to Emmaus confused. You didn't see this coming. And it's like, what's going on here? And it seems simple to us because we've had many years to hear the stories told again and again and again. But to them living through it, all they could see were the lenses. All they could see was what they knew and what everyone told them. And it took Jesus himself coming alongside them, walking them through the stories. Do you know the scripture is probably the only book you will ever read where the author of it is sitting with you whilst you read it? available to you whilst you read it. And I, I, I want to I be a little bit bold here, but I do not believe you, you, that, that anyone can read Scripture well if first they don't pause and say, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this moment. Fill this space. I need you, right? Talk me through these Scriptures. Talk me. I, I have bias. I have opinions. I have things to prove. I have fears, I am deceived in so many ways, and I know that that's true. And so, Holy Spirit, what I'm asking is that you would put away myself and you would teach me your raw truth that I may leave this place like the eunuch, rejoicing and filled with renewal. And the Holy Spirit, sure enough, will fill that place every single time. And maybe you stumble across something that is confusing or difficult, but you've been praying as you went. And you say, Holy Spirit, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Explain it to me. Teach me. Guide me. Or let me put it aside for now. Let it not weigh me down and remind me to bring it up in community later. The Holy Spirit is the source of our truth. Holy Spirit-led reading of the Bible is probably the only way we, know, we can possibly read it and get the truth of Jesus out of it. Otherwise, we will just read our truths into it. So we got to read scripture, Holy Spirit led. But we also got to read it daily. We read about the Berean Jews before. They, they were so hungry for the truth that they made it a priority to read scripture daily. But they're not the only people to do that. Um, there is the biggest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. It's, it's this collection of, of, of songs. Um, and, and many of them were written by people, well, all of them were written by people throughout kind of the history of the Jews. And, and, and one of them, King David, starts the book off like this, with, with a promise of a blessing. And this is what he said. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Law? Oh, that sounds legalistic. Except the word law there is Torah. And the word Torah is essentially scripture. 
It's not talking about laws like one, two, three, four. It's talking about God's way of being, the Torah, the teaching, the scriptures. And so let me reread it for us. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the scripture of God. Blessed is the one who meditates on his scripture day and night. If it's true that scripture can transform our lives, if it's true that every time we read scripture, something special and magnificent and beautiful is happening in our souls, if it's true that today might be the day that I leave this place singing, that I leave this place rejoicing, that I leave this place like something new has taken place inside my soul, then why wouldn't I read it daily? Why wouldn't I pursue it daily? If every day I could be one step closer to a breakthrough where, where, where at the moment I am utterly defeated, but God has been at work and all I am is wrong and deceived. And God's like, just trust me. Just trust me. I'm working on this. Keep coming to my scripture. Keep coming to my truth. Keep feasting on my word every day. I am getting you through this lie. Until you get to the other side, and like me and my friend when we read Isaiah, or like the eunuch when, when, when it was all revealed to him, or like the Berean Jews when many of them believed, we can have these moments where we say, whoa, it's all changed. It's all, it's all different. I just couldn't have believed God could have loved me this way. I, couldn't, I, I could never have foreseen that I would be so cherished by God or God would be so worthy of my life or, 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 or that my life could be so filled with purpose and so driven to holiness and that's a good thing and a beautiful blessing to my life. If every time we read scripture, we come closer to that breakthrough, that truth, that life-bringing, beautiful gift from God, then why wouldn't we seek it every single day? Holy Spirit-led, invite him in. Reading daily, reading often. Give him an opportunity to move and work in our lives. Finally, community. You know, in, in Acts 8, 26 to 39, we saw that poor eunuch guy, a regular dude who's coming home from trying to worship God to the best of his ability, and he's wrestling through Isaiah, and he's just like, ah. Oh. I mean, maybe I'm reading into it right now. Maybe I'm putting my own frustration, which is something I just said don't do, but Let's move on. And then he's like, he's like, I read it in the tone of frustration. Like Philip comes up to him and says, hey, buddy, like you need some help. Like, like you know, you understand what's going on? And he's like, oh, man, how am I? How can I know this truth unless someone explains it to me? I don't even know who this prophet's talking about right now. Man, I've been wrestling. I'm so lost. And maybe I'm just projecting myself onto these scriptures, but the truth and fact of the matter is this is an experience so many of us have when we open our scriptures, right? Like we just, like I said, we finished the Viticus, we're reading Numbers. These aren't easy books to read. In fact, I'm quite glad they're at the beginning because we're getting through them quite quickly. But here's the thing, <laughs> here's the thing. We can leave that place singing. We can leave that place rejoicing because something genuinely good has happened. We can leave that place with a sense that something new has become alive in our souls and we have life like we've never had it before. I've led a small group for, so, um, for, for many years now and it's been a privilege and an honor. And one thing I've learned about small group is even if you're the leader, you're still just one of the members. Like, like as you walk through small groups together, the number of times I've been in a place or people in my group have been in a place where they've said, I have read that scripture a thousand times and glossed over it. 
ignored it, been confused by it, frustrated by it, pretended it didn't exist. And I'm so glad I asked the question today because, man, I didn't realize how much God could love me. I didn't realize how much he wanted my breakthrough, how much he wanted my renewal. And so me personally in these moments where I'm in small group and I'm praying and I'm seeking God. And do you know how many times I've just said to some friends, gather around me. I'm struggling in my faith. I'm apathetic. I'm dry. I want to love Jesus up here, but really I'm feeling heavy and hard. And they come and we gather and we seek and we Holy Spirit led pray through scriptures, pray through the struggles, pray through what what God is doing in his word. And, And we see by the end of that space, I enter dry and defeated and I leave alive and renewed. And I have personally experienced this on countless occasions. Reading this text, reading scripture in community isn't just a nice idea. It's God's way of solving the eunuch's problem. Why? Because the eunuch was wrestling and struggling and God literally moves in this story to get Philip alongside him to walk through the word of God with him. God's solution to hard to, to the struggle of reading scripture well is community. It's doing it together. That's why we do small groups here. It's why we do Bible studies. That's why we gather in small communities and say, man, let's just read scripture together because there's something beautiful in there and I don't want to miss it. Scripture is beautiful. Man, I just don't think I can say that enough times today. Scripture is beautiful. It's life-changing. It's renewing. It brings hope and health and truth to dark and hard and, and, and hurting places. It shows us where we're wrong and gives us hope to be right. It tells me why the kingdom of God is good news. Because too often I'm like, it's just a slogan, I don't get it. God is at work in scripture every single time we read it. And that is why we need God to help us, to empower us, to lead us, to fill us with hope before we even open it. To say today, I'm not just reading scripture now. Today, I'm seeing God move. Today, I'm witnessing a move of the Lord and I'm trusting and believing that some part of my soul is being healed and some part of my dryness is being softened. Today, I'm stepping in and and I'm inviting God to be be my my commentator, my narrator, my my way, my means. And, And I'm inviting community to help me walk through this and I'm gonna do it often because I believe that God has a plan to do something beautiful in my life. And I believe God has a plan to do something beautiful in our lives, in New Life Calling Gala. And I believe he is hungry and excited to see a move of God come, not just in this place, but more importantly, through this place, into our families, into our children, into our our, our housemates, into our communities, into our workplaces, that people's lives may be transformed by the goodness of God in a way they would never be transformed if we didn't sit And let God move in us first. And this is why reading scripture is the primary means of becoming. Because we don't become anything holy if we don't let the Holy One do His work inside of us. This is why scriptural discernment is a core value of our church. Because this isn't just a nice idea I'm saying from stage. This is tried and tested, 2,000 years of church history where people have tried it their way and turned back to Scripture and said, dang it, Scripture works every single time. And so the leaders of this church said, well, let's not stray from that one, hey? Let's make Scripture one of the core values of more people becoming more like Jesus. 
And so what we're going to do for just a few moments right now is we're going to pray together. And we're going to seek the Lord. And after that, we're going to actually step, stand up together and worship the Lord. A, a song about freshness and newness. Why? Because today's a day for a new page to be turned. I know that because I know it says it in Scripture, that His mercies are new each day. And, and, and so today's a day where a page can be turned and we can start again and say, Lord, I have been apathetic and blind and hard-hearted to your Scripture. I haven't been hope-filled. I've been dusty and quoting Mark Twain. I've been like, I know I ought to have read Scripture, but God, I don't really want to. But today's a day where we can say, Lord, I have been blind. May your hope guide and fuel my eagerness, my anticipation, my excitement for these scriptures that we're going to read over the next 12-ish months. Lord, be the fuel, be the energy, be the conviction, be the driving force of us as a church getting to know you more and fall in love with you more. So how about we pray together? Lord God, there is no one like you. You alone save us. You alone secure us. You alone hold us. You alone make a way for us. Lord, that you wrote scripture to continue the good work you're doing in us and you started and you're continuing us through your Holy Spirit and through the life of Jesus. You wrote scripture as a continuance of an expression of love for us that you are desperate for us to taste. That in my defeat today, I may turn to Scripture tomorrow and see that I'm not defeated, I'm deceived. And your goodness has brought clarity and hope in a place where I previously had none. Holy God, would that be the story of our congregation, of our people today? May we leave this place rejoicing and filled with newness because your word has been preached. And because we suddenly grasp Holy Spirit thanks to your work that there is something beautiful and life-bringing, not dusty and religious, beautiful and life-bringing in these scriptures. Come fill this space, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And maybe you're in this room and you don't know who this Jesus is, so with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed, I'm gonna talk to you right now if you're in this room and you're like, I've always heard about this Jesus, but that's not what he sounded like. For me, Jesus was always someone who... Who, who was the judge with the stick, not the lover with a book trying to woo our hearts to him. I want to say today that that fictional Jesus, that Hollywood Jesus that you've rejected, I reject. But there is a true Jesus, a real Jesus, who is here to save our souls and has been desperate for relationship with each of us, that newness of life might become our norm. And if in this room today, you're like, man, I want to make that dedication. I, I at least want to say, Lord, I'm interested in getting to know you a bit more. Lord, if you really are that good, then my hand goes up and I say, maybe. So I'm going to count to three. And if you're in this room and, and you want to make that decision to truly get to know Jesus for the first time, then I'd ask you just to put your hand up for a moment that I only I could see so that I may start a conversation maybe after church and bring a Bible to you if you don't have one. One, all eyes closed, all heads bowed. Two, three. If you're in this room and you want to make that decision for the first time to give your life to Jesus and let him be your savior, just flash your hand in the air so that I can see. Maybe you're in this room today and you didn't put your hand up but you wanted to 
And so whether you put your hand up or you didn't, I want to invite you to respond to a prayer. I'm just going to pray a bit and I'm going to ask you to declare it out after me. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you're good and you're loving and you didn't give up on me. Come and save me. Teach me why your truth is the best truth for me. Set me free, my Lord. And help my heart come alive more and more every day. In Jesus' name.